Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Hello and welcome back to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest is the host of Comic Book Time Machine and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Welcome to Level 7. Please welcome Mr. Ben Avery. How are you, Ben? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, good. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for helping me with this topic. I'm glad that you volunteered. You know, I wasn't sure what I was actually volunteering for, and I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to be excited for this. I'm actually the same way, Uh, and listeners will find out what we're being cryptic about in a second. But (laughs) um, for new listeners who might not know, Ben appeared on my last Star Wars show, Dead Boffin Spies, where he had the mostly thankless task of helping me celebrate the 30th anniversary (laughs) of the Droids and Ewoks cartoon series. And in keeping with that theme, Ben is back to help me cover the new Star Wars comic, C-3PO, published by Marvel. But before we review the comic, Ben, can you tell us how and when you first discovered Star Wars? Yeah, sure. Um... I'm like a lot of people who were born in the 70s. I do not remember life without Star Wars. (laughs) I saw all three movies in the theaters. I don't remember why my parents took me when I was like three or four to see the first one. But pretty much after that, I became an addict. I read the comics, had the action figures, and it was just all Star Wars. You know, there's other stuff. Obviously, I loved Superman, too. Saw that in the theaters. I mean, these two momentous occasions in my life. But Mm And so then after Star Wars was done, um, it was I still read the comics and stuff. I really, really didn't get into the expanded universe uh, stuff that was coming out at the end of high school and then into college. Uh, but I was still, you know, I still watched the movies. We did the overnighter right before Christmas break in college. We would do the overnighter and watch all three movies. Yeah, nice. you know, just after finals were done and stuff like that. And so, I mean, it's not like Star Wars went away. I just wasn't into the expanded universe, but then it was just always a part of things. And it, it, in my creativity as a kid, in my creativity now as a comic writer, and and the other things I do, I mean, I'm a children's pastor too, but, you know, Star Wars works its way into, into some of my little mini sermons and that kind of thing. But it's just been it's just been a part of the mythology of my life. So, yeah, there it is. That's there, There's not much more I can say simply because it's just been such a big part of, of my childhood and, and then even adult life. And now my kids love it, too. Well, that's good. That's good. It's, you're bringing them up right, I assume. And, <laughs> uh, so it has been about six months, I think, since we last talked uh, about the subject. And since then, we have gotten a new Star Wars movie and mm-hmm. a trailer for yeah, another one coming out this year. Really quick thoughts on The Force Awakens. Yay, nay. What did you think? It's yay. It's definitely yay. I enjoyed myself a lot. I enjoyed watching my kids enjoy themselves a lot. I've watched it... Uh, three times in the theaters, and then I have watched it once since it came out on on Blu-ray. But I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. I liked the callbacks. There was there's problems, you know. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. There's problems, I, I, and and the the more you watch it, the more you're going to see the problems. Yep. Um. So I guess if you started out as a hater, you're just going to see more and more. But <laughs> true. But yeah, it was a great start to a, a new chapter. This is how I felt. I agree. Uh, your quick thoughts. Have you seen the trailer or the? I guess the. Technically speaking, the teaser, the teaser yeah. trailer for Rogue One. I have, and I that excites me a lot simply because 
I mean, there's all the expanded universe stuff that was coming out, and I read some of it, but I really didn't get into it. This is cool to me because it's expanded universe, new expanded mm-hmm. universe or whatever you want to call it, but it's out on the big screen, and we're going to see some stories that I'm, – I'm just glad this one – it's not young Han Solo. It's not young Boba Fett. It's not any of those young, you know, young Yoda. It's, if anything, I guess it would be a young Death Star story. <laughs> um, and young, but, younger Mon Mothma, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I do question how much she's actually going to be in the movie, but uh, she figured pretty heavily in that teaser. And wow, she's aged really well. Wouldn't <laughs> yeah. you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, it. It looks like it could be really fun. I do have a friend who is like, there's nothing new. There's Desert Planet. There's the same spaceships we've always seen. And I'm just like, there's everything new. You know, this is a whole new crew of characters. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what they're going to do. We don't know where they're going to end up. We have a glimpse at this potentially really different story that's not just get the plans and blow up the stuff. It's get the plans. You'll blow it up later, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and anything can happen to these characters. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. It, it excites me. And, and the other thing that excites me is, yes, anything could happen to these characters. And they'll probably do more books and stuff and comics and stuff about them. But as far as we know on the big screen, I don't think we're going to see too much more of them unless they show up in, in later chapters, like in episode eight or nine or something like that, you know, having aged. And so. This is like a one shot that we get with them. Mm-hmm. We're just going to see what happens to these people. And if we like them, we'll care about what happens to them. And right. so they, that's their task. Make us like these characters so that by the end of the movie, we cared that they survived or didn't. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. And when they first announced the movie, it didn't really appeal to me. I was like, really? They're doing the – I love the way you describe it. A, a young Death Star movie, the origin of the Death Star movie. I was like – it felt like another prequel, and I was like, I know how this turns out. I know ultimately what the end point of the story is. But then something clicked when I watched the teaser, and I was like, okay, I know what happens to the Death Star and the Death Star plans, but that's the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about these characters or what happens to them. And that was really the issue with the prequel trilogy, was I knew where those characters ended up. This one, despite eventually knowing what happens with the plans and the Death Star, I don't care about that because the movies were never really about that. It's about the people, and right. I want to see what happens to these people. So that does have me excited, and I think it just – I needed to see the teaser to realize that. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, you already know what happens with World War II. The <laughs> yeah. Germans lose, you yeah. know? But what happens to Private Ryan? We don't know that. Exactly. That's why we sit through the movie. And yes, and so like you said with prequels, we knew what was going to happen with Anakin. The question was how is he going to get there and if they can make that work. With this, they still have a task to make it work, but we don't know anything about this story. Right, right. And, and that excites me. There's tons of potential there for a fun romp in a universe that we love. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Or, or a dark romp in a <laughs> universe that we love. But <laughs> we shall we're, see. we're romping in a universe. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, Moving on just a bit. Uh, Listeners, it is time for the Star Wars Current Events segment. Now, this is the part of the show where my guest and I talk about something new in the realm of Star Wars movies, comics, books, or theme parks. Yes, theme parks. That is actually the subject for this episode. Back on Thursday, April 14th, Disney officially broke ground with the planned Star Wars attraction at Disneyland. It's still going to take years to complete the attraction, which should have an identical layout and features at both Disneyland in California and Disney's Hollywood Adventure in Florida. But for now at least, we know they have started construction. 
and that is all we know. But Ben, <laughs> are you excited for Star Wars Land? Do you have any interest in this? No, and and the reason I don't is I, I really don't see my family ever going. And so while it's a neat idea, and I'm excited that they're doing more stuff with Star Wars, and I know there's going to be tons and tons of kids who are going to enjoy themselves. For me personally, that's just not the way we we go. We're in Indiana, you know, mm-hmm. and for any kind of trip to any kind of Disney, I'd rather go up to Canada and visit family. Or, I mean, we we work at lots of summer camps and stuff like that and and those kind of things. Those are the kind of things we we spend our vacation time on. And Disney's just not really a blip on on our radar, so – but it is cool, and I'm excited for the kids who do get to go. It sounds like they could potentially have some pretty awesome time. But yeah. Honestly, I'm not even thinking about it for like a vacation. I think I'm going to go and apply for a job as a bartender in the cantina. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to serve blue milk to somebody. Like That's going to be my thing. I'm going to throw <laughs> droids out of the place. <laughs> that's, what I, that's where I see my career path in five nice. years. <laughs> Um, and people, just so you know, Chris and Cindy Franklin from the Supermates podcast actually took their family to Walt Disney World in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and they saw the Star Wars props and memorabilia on display at Hollywood Studios, and you can hear all about that on episode 52 of Supermates, which is also part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, and hopefully I can get Chris on a future episode and he can talk more about that trip in, in greater detail. But now, we're going to take a quick break to play a promo for Ben's podcast, and after the break, we will tackle the Marvel comic Star Wars C-3PO. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away, from 1977 to 1986, Marvel Comics published comics based on the blockbuster movie hit Star Wars. Hey, I remember that comic. But Star Wars was not the only comic Marvel published based on someone else's property. Really? Tell me more. I will. I'll tell you much more in podcast form. Marvel's Cosmic Comics, a podcast covering Marvel's licensed publishing during the first Star Wars era. Like what? Well, Star Wars, of course. Of course. And Micronauts. Classic. Rom. Space Knight. Better than it should be. Shogun Warriors. No idea what it is, but it sounds awesome. John Carter, Warlord of Mars. I've heard of that. Star Trek. Motion picture era, in it? Godzilla. That was a comic. Man from Atlantis. So, Aquaman. Jack Kirby's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wait, really? That's a thing? A human fly. What? He was a real-life stuntman. You're just making stuff up now, aren't you? I wish I were. And there's much, much more. Anyway, join comic book fan, collector, and writer Ben Avery as he explores the good, the bad, and the ugly of Marvel's licensed sci-fi comics. Marvel's Cosmic Comics, found wherever you catch your podcasts and on the web at comicbooktimemachine.com. Star Wars C-3PO is written by James Robinson with art by Tony Harris and letters by Joe Caramagna. The book was edited by Heather Antos and Jordan White and was published on April 13, 2016. The story, which is titled The Phantom Limb, opens with a ship crashing on an alien world. Six droids manage to get off the wrecked ship before it explodes, killing the captain and any crew that might have survived the crash. The droids include C-3PO, the gold-plated protocol droid who serves as droid communications chief for the Resistance, and who has two gold arms at the beginning of this story. (laughs) VL-44, a non-humanoid-looking security droid. PZ-99, another security droid, this one modeled after the tall blue PZ droid seen in their Resistance headquarters in The Force Awakens. CO-34, a simple construction droid. And 2Med-2, a 2-1B series medical droid. 
The sixth droid in their party is an RA-7 model, who people would better recognize as the Death Star droid from the first Star Wars movie. This droid is called Omri, a First Order protocol droid, and he is their captive. We learn pretty quickly that elsewhere in the galaxy, the First Order has captured Admiral Akbar. The Resistance needs to rescue him before the First Order can interrogate and execute him. Omri was captured because he knows where Akbar is being held, so C-3PO and the other droids have to get Omri to the Resistance. In order to do that, the droids have to cross this harsh alien world and find a homing beacon they can use to send a distress signal. C-3PO tells Omri the journey will be easier for all of them if he doesn't resist and try to escape the entire time. Omri agrees to play nice. During their march, he asks questions about their programming, about their sense of loyalty. He wonders why they serve their masters, and what the fighting means if they've been reprogrammed and could have served the other side at some point in the war. The other droids aren't really interested in the debate. 2Med2 is a medical droid. He's going to save lives no matter what. PZ-99 is a military droid. He's going to fight no matter what. The droids stumble into a nest of nasty-looking spice spiders that surround and attack. The two security droids manage to protect the others. PZ-99 holds the spiders off long enough for C-3PO to lead them to safety, but eventually PZ is overwhelmed by the spiders and destroyed. Continuing their journey, C-3PO and Omri continue their conversation. Omri is disturbed by the notion that his memories are subject to the will of his masters. He calls self-awareness the curse of the protocol droid. C-3PO reveals that he does indeed have scattered memory fragments, like flashes from a dream. He has glimpses of prequel-era places and things, but he does not dwell on these memories. C-3PO accepts that it is the droid's job to serve his master. The five remaining droids come to a river of caustic, oily tar. CO-34, the construction droid, turns himself into a bridge. The others start to cross, but out of the river come alien tentacles that attack the droids. 2Med2 is pulled into the tar. One of the tentacles grabs C-3PO, but Omri holds him and pulls him back. The tentacle rips C-3PO's arm off. VL-44 blasts the tentacles and escorts the protocol droids to the other side, but the construction droid was damaged and cannot pull itself across the river. It sinks into the tar and deactivates. Now there are only three droids left, but that doesn't last. The hostile alien environment will not let up. A giant flying insect swoops down and grabs VL-44, carrying the last security droid away. Now the two protocol droids are alone, and C-3PO is damaged. 3PO and Omri continue their trek, finding some gallows humor in their situation. The two bond, and Omri admits that he wishes they were on the same side. He asks 3PO about his missing arm, and talks about the human phenomenon called Phantom Limb, where people who lose arms or legs claim that they can still feel it. Omri says having his memories erased feels like that. Finally, the two droids come into view of a downed First Order TIE fighter, but at that moment, it begins to rain. Not just rain, but acid rain. C-3PO and Omri take cover under one of the wings, but the acid will eventually eat through the wing and destroy them. From their cover, they can see the homing beacon in the TIE fighter's cockpit, but it too will be destroyed by the acid rain before long. Omri makes a choice. He says there is nothing in his programming that prevents him from helping C-3PO accomplish his mission. Omri transmits the coordinates of the base where Admiral Akbar is being held, then he walks out into the rain to turn on the distress signal. 
As the acid rain pounds him, the first thing it does is strip away Omri's paint scheme, revealing red primer beneath. Omri changes the frequency of the homing beacon to summon the resistance to come rescue C-3PO. This way, 3PO will survive, but the acid has done too much damage to Omri. He collapses, dead, as a resistance ship arrives with Poe Dameron and BB-8. C-3PO tells Poe that he accomplished his mission and found Akbar's location, but at a terrible cost. Poe says the sacrifice of the crew and the droids won't be in vain, and they'll get C-3PO a new arm. 3PO says he already has a replacement, and picks up one of Omri's red arms. Later, C-3PO has had the red arm attached to replace the gold one he lost. He admits that the color scheme offends his sensibilities, but he chooses to keep it, to honor and remember Omri and the other droids who sacrificed themselves for him. And that is Star Wars C-3PO. So Ben, what did you think of this book? First of all, before that even, what were your expectations going into this book? (laughs) So this book is, you know, it's like we were talking about the prequels. This is where we find out how it happened, right? This Mm -hmm. is where we find out that goofy line in Force Awakens where C-3PO you know, steps in front of Han Solo or I think it was Han Solo. He says, yep. you probably didn't recognize me with uh, with this red arm. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you want to know where? And then, you know, they just push him out of the way or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's, it's a goofy moment. Uh, it's one of those lines that it's there. I don't know why he was thinking no one would recognize him with <laughs> changed arm. But that's, you know, the change to the character is, you know, over time, these you know, characters aged, he's had replacement parts and he's kept this particular replacement part. And the question is why? And so I'm coming into this thinking, OK, so we're going to get the story of his red arm. And and that's how this was promoted. You know, mm-hmm. it's the story of how he got his red arm. So my my expectations, because you mentioned in the one Poe Dameron or, or C-3PO, and I was like, I, I'm reading both, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you gave me the choice. And it was choosing between Poe Dameron, who's a character I'm not really familiar with, but probably is having excitement and action happening in his book, <laughs> and C-3PO, who there's comfort and there's familiarity, but this story can't be that great. You know, it, it can't. It can't. It's the story of how he got an extra arm. <laughs> you know, so how did he lose his arm, and then where did he? What junk pile did he pick it up from? So that was my expectation. Was I'll read it. I'm going to buy it. It's a one shot. I've stopped buying uh, the. The ongoing series because I'm, I'm just going with collections now. Mm-hmm. But this is a one shot. I'm not sure what collection is going to show up in. I'm going to go ahead and get it. And I'm going to get Poe Dameron number one just to see you know what we're getting into. And yeah, so I was going to get it anyway, but I wasn't really looking forward to it. Long That's, that's the, sh- the short version of that long story I just told. But. <laughs> I'm kind of there with you. Now, they first announced this book like last September, probably the last time that we talked in the podcast. Yeah, because it was before the movie. This issue was supposed to come out back in December when the movie came out, and it kept on getting pushed back. For their, like Different people are saying, well, it might have been a creative issue like with the writer or the artist, or it could have been Lucasfilm was holding up the story because they needed to approve something. And there were all these things, but like J.J. Abrams mentioned that the story of the Red Arm would be told in a comic. Like This was they kind of made this a big deal. And after seeing the movie, I was like, who cares how he got the red arm? <laughs> yeah. Like, I liked that. He cares. Movie. Exactly, exactly. But that's that's the joke. And you brought it up and like, I, I laughed at that line in the movie. It's like, oh, of course, he thinks nobody, because he is so concerned with his outer appearance that he thinks this is a, a smirch on his character, the fact that he has this red arm. But, but that's it. It's a one-off gag. And then you move on. So it's like, who cares about this thing? But I was like, 
all right, I'll read the book and I'll probably trash it because it's going to be a stupid story. So that was my expectation. I went into this like thinking, this can't possibly be any good. So what did you actually think of the story? I liked it. I did too. I loved it. <laughs> and and as I as I I liked it more and more as I kept reading. So I'm I'm starting it out and I'm like, okay, he's going to lose his arm on the planet, you know. But as I continued reading, I who cares about these robots? You know, who cares about these droids? I kind of do now, mm-hmm. you know. And and then you continue going on, and the story itself is a nice, concise one and done. Uh, you'll like it more if you know who C three PO is. And you you like it even a little bit more if you know who Admiral, Admiral Akbar is. But even then, I feel like this is actually a pretty decent standalone uh, sci-fi story. Uh-huh. Like if this was any other series of robots, uh, you know, if this was a, I don't know, Lost in Space or something, I don't know. But if it's anywhere else with any other characters, but with the same characterization and the same storyline and the same philosophical conversations, I think it would stand up. I, I think it's not just a Star Wars story. This is a pretty decent sci-fi story that asks questions. I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. And similar to what we were talking about with uh, Rogue One, partway through the story, I realized, you know what? The red arm doesn't matter. Was like, <laughs> it's sort of like the, what we were saying like with the Death Star yep. plans. It's like, yep. this isn't the story. The story isn't about the red arm. This is a story about loyalty and friendship in wartime. And questions of servitude versus free will and and independent thinking versus programming and conditioning. And I was like, this is big, heady stuff. And you're right, this is this is stuff you find in science fiction. Science fiction asks these big questions about humanity in a kind of alien harsh setting. Mm-hmm. And that's what it and I was, and because it, it got to actually one point where I was like I, I completely forgot what I was getting. And when he has his arm ripped off, I was like, oh okay, that's how he lose the arm. I was like, oh yeah. But wait, none of these droids have red arms. Who's he gonna get that arm from? So when we get it at the end that when the when Omri reveals that he had red primer, I'm like, okay. And they earned that. I was like, yes, he is going to get Omri's arm. And it's not mm-hmm. just it's not just taking from the dead droid it's taking from this droid that actually means something to C-3PO. Yeah. Um, this story blew me away. Yeah. It was a surprise, and maybe I liked it more because it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's just the kind of thing that would, you know, knock it up from, I don't know, an 8 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10, mm-hmm. you know, is is the surprise that that I liked it more because it was a surprise. It's still really, really good, not just surprising in how good it is. Right. But, it, yeah, and... You're bringing up some of those, you know, free will and programming, but also identity mm-hmm. and memory. Yeah. And I mean, the whole title, Phantom Limb, comes from that idea of, you know, there's the ghost of a memory of something that doesn't exist anymore. Right. And that's what all these these other droids are are these these ghosts of memory now within C-3PO. And there's a little bit of melancholy to it because he's had his memory wiped. Mm-hmm. And he has these kind of wisps of memory from them, but he doesn't worry about those memories. He's keeping the arm to hang on to the memory of these other droids. Exactly. And we actually we see a little bit of that ghost. There is one shot where he's thinking about his memories, and he's like, but I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about it. And we see just in the art, in Tony Harris's art, an image of the capital of Naboo and the duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith. We kind of see that image played out in his memory. So there are these weird little ghost memories that shouldn't be there based on the program, but can't escape these memories. And and you wonder, 
he says he doesn't dwell on these things. Is that true? Is he denying it? Well, maybe it could be that he's forcing himself not to dwell on it. Like it comes up, but he just pushes it away because why bother with these things? Mm-hmm. He's a pragmatic droid, you know. Mm-hmm. He's he's dealing with things that matter. And what matters is, you know, here, surviving. Right. And those droids are gone now, but again, now they matter to him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just the final image, you know, he's he and BB-8 they're on a ship and he's staring off like the the viewport into space. And we just see sort of the reflection around him are the other five droids that were lost on that world. And you're right, he's carrying them. He's remembering them as if they were an extension of him. And that's the whole, the phantom limb thing. Yeah, so, I mean, because I'm thinking phantom limb, ha ha, phantom menace, you yeah. know, here's a limb. <laughs> wah, wah. But no, no, it's, it's, there's meaning there. And I'm really curious how much of the meaning that we get in this story comes from James Robinson bringing it in and how much of it, you know, is is James Robinson just saying, OK, I have to do this story, but, oh, I could do some really neat stuff with this. Or how much of this was kind of dictated you know, and, and said, you got to do this and this and this. And, oh, here's something else you should do. I mean, and I don't think anybody at Lucasfilm would micromanage like the thematic elements of the story. They might give him basically like like you know plot like here's the thing he lo- like I, I don't even know like they might might have yeah. insisted that it was something to do with the first order that you know you need to have Poe Dameron and BB-8 show up because we want to market our new heroes you know something like that but I gotta imagine the thematic elements the Phantom Limb it either came from him or it came from the editors at Marvel but I'm betting it's him uh, and and kudos to him because. And that, the entire creative team, Robinson and Harris, this is a reunion for the guys behind Starman, the very, very popular DC book. Now, I might be alone in not liking Starman as much as I think everybody I know loves <laughs> Starman. Um, and it's like a game-changing book for a lot of people. Okay, but but like I'm I'm gonna say like this is my favorite story I've ever read by James Robinson. Um, and the art in this story, what did you think of the art? You know, that was the other thing that at first it kind of put me off. Mm-hmm. And and here's why. When I read a Star Wars comic, I don't want to see super stylized art. You know, I don't want to see heavy metal type art. Yeah. Uh, toward the end of the run of the original Marvel comics, the art just kind of, eh, it's not perfect. It, actually, toward the beginning, now that I'm reading you know, from the beginning, it, eh, you know, but I, I didn't mind it. It was when I started seeing some of the like the Dark Horse stuff where they actually were doing these kind of short stories that really were super stylized and not, you know, and, and impressionistic almost in mm-hmm. some cases. And this here, at first, I'm thinking, okay, it feels like heavy metal, feels like, you know, just that that kind of raw sci-fi with this almost splattered ink and that. But as you go along, it grows on you. It fits the tone of what the story is. And then there's also, I love the panel layouts in this. Yeah. Where they're doing some of these um uh, I don't know what to, what to call it other than, you know, there's – it's symmetrical mm-hmm. with the panels and, and they're, they're shaped. Uh, they're shaped to bring tone and mood to the page and it's it's neat and yeah. I'm enjoying it. And again, it just – the book, every page, it grew on me more and more until I got to the end and realized I really, really like this. And I liked it the second reading too and the third reading. So, I definitely – I noticed the panel layout. There's – I'm not even sure like how to – I don't. I don't even. I don't know. I don't have the art background to kind of like describe this. 
but it's... They're not just all rectangular panels. There's rounded panels. There's some pages where it's just four panels that are exactly the same size. But then you'll get to some pages where they'll do like the circular panel where it's just the headshot as a character's talking. Mm-hmm. And then another headshot of the other character facing them, you know, just in these two separate circle panels. And it allows for some actually allows some pretty cramped pages yeah. because there's a lot of story in here to get into. But then then that also allows them to do some some of the splash pages and, and things like that just for the impact. And, yeah, the spiders, when they attack, there's kind of these panels that just kind of go through this double page splash. And so in the background behind these other panels are just hordes of spiders, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's really effective. And honestly, when I read this. Uh, there was a project I was working on. There was a script that I was working on. And between this C-3PO comic and then reading Ronin by Frank Miller, <laughs> both of those just made me just want to, oh, I got to up my game on this one. You know, I just, they, they inspired me to do better in the book that I was working on. And it's just, I got to I gotta do better. Got to do better. Yeah. I don't know if I succeeded, but, <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I know I succeeded in doing better than it would have been. I didn't get up to this level <laughs> or or Frank Miller Ronin level, but... It's a neat read. It's a fun read. It's a tight read. And it, it gets into those big ideas of yeah, identity and memory and how much of our memory shapes who we are. And then go, getting around the programming so he can make his choices but still go with the strictest interpretation of his programming. Mm-hmm. You know, which classic science fiction robot stuff where mm-hmm. I'm programmed to do this, but I will allow you to do this because I was not programmed in exactly those terms. <laughs> We can get around the the semantics of the words that were used in my programming. I was so excited to find out that the main the meat of this story was going to be this conversation between three PO and a Death Star droid. This opera. yes, because yes. Uh, listeners who heard episode one of this podcast will remember I was talking to Rob Kelly and I said when I was growing up I didn't get to play with the C three PO and R two D two toys. I got the oh, like, no. I got the second tier. I got. The Death Star droid and R five D four. They That's were what I had. They were my name brand knockoffs. They were like and that was my C three PO and R two D two. Yeah, so those they are, stood in. So <laughs> for me, like I have always loved just like the shape and the look of that Death Star droid. So when I found out that he was like the main character of this and he was the one challenging them and driving the story, I was like, I love this guy. I love this character. And then for his sacrifice and his change at the end, mm. and. The scene, I, I just, I got to go through the dialogue in this. Acid rain is pouring down on them, and he says, you know, he can see the beacon in the TIE fighter. They've got to get to it. They've got to survive, or at least one of them has to survive. And he says, here, you have a mission. There is nothing in my directive telling me to prevent you from completing it. I just transferred to you the location where the First Order is holding Admiral Akbar. And 3PO says, I don't understand. You're choosing sides. And Omri says, I'm not choosing sides, I'm choosing friendship. And it's like, why does that line, why does that moment between two automatons, two robots, hit me? But it does. It just it hit me right now. I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I'm so happy with this moment. And and he walks off into the to the acid rain to sacrifice himself, and he just he just kind of looks, and that's the other thing. Like he looks down as the rain is pelting away and stripping him, and he's like, "Yeah, I've got red primer underneath my silver coat." He's like, "When was that painted on?" He's like, "How long have I had that? I don't remember." And again, going back into like all of these fake memories or these mm-hmm. these missing memories. To be clear, the line "I'm choosing friendship" could have been so cheesy. 
Mm-hmm. So cheesy. But it was earned. Yeah. It was earned in this one-shot C-3PO Star Wars comic book. They, they earned that moment. And the cheese might be there for some readers, but you know my cheese alarm was already set to go off at any point because of my feelings at the beginning of the book. You know, as much as I was liking it, I was still waiting for it to say, you know, oh, and he just picks up the arm. You know? yeah, and, yeah. But no, no. I mean, and at one point, I think I may, may have thought the army was going to give him the arm, you mm-hmm. know, and, ma- and make it a, an actual gift. Right. It works better this way, far better this way. It does. Because it's 3PO taking ownership, taking ownership of not just the arm, but the memory, like the action, like that he is choosing to carry this memento. And it's a symbol, really. It's it's the the arm is just a metaphor for really what the whole thing is about, which is he is carrying the burden of knowledge, the memory of these droids mm-hmm. that have died, so that he could live. It might be on the nose, but I don't think it's too on the nose. I think it's pretty well done and it's pretty powerful. So well, it's it's for both of them. There's it's moments of self realization mm-hmm. and maybe even self actualization where they are, you know, with Omri, he's decided well. This is why I'm doing this because right. over time, brothers in arms, we made it through, and here we are. We have not just made it through this experience, but we've built a relationship, a friendship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've always liked the droids in Star Wars. I've got a soft spot for those things. So, from the first page when these six weird-looking droids climb off of the ship, I was like, "Oh, hey, you know, you got me. I, I can already tell." This is going to be special, and I recognize some of them. I didn't recognize others, but each one had its own little quirk, its own little personality. So, Robinson did what he needed to do to hook me pretty early on. But. Well, and there, you know, to point out one one thing, there was a lot of uh, interpretation of dialogue, and that could have been really bad too, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. But you had you had droids who were not speaking, you know, basic. They were speaking in. Uh, whatever droid language you know they would have and then c-3po would have to say well yes i already know that blah 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 right, exactly but, and, and that could have been bad but it wasn't it, it didn't go, go on too much and there's a lot of inference that we were able to do mm-hmm. uh, later on but the other thing i want to point out though is in that original toy he was not red underneath the chrome paint <laughs> he was a creamy white beneath that chrome paint and you know I, this because my dog would attack my Star Wars guys. <laughs> and yeah, I had battle damaged sand person before battle damage action figures were a thing. <laughs> so I also had a pilot for my Fisher Price action guys um, who one day he was there. The next day, all that was left was a foot. My dog ate that entire action figure. That's tough. <laughs> um. Yeah, you mentioned that that you had stopped kind of following the main Star Wars series except in trades. Mm-hmm. I've read, I think, the first nine issues of the main Star Wars story. I read the first six issues of Darth Vader. I read the Princess Leia miniseries. I read the Lando Calrissian miniseries. I read the first issue of Chewbacca. I read the Shattered Empire miniseries. And I've read the first issue of Poe Dameron. I think this is the best single issue of any of the Star Wars books Marvel has published in the last two years since they got the license Hmm. back in terms of just a a single story and maybe better than some of those miniseries entirely. Uh, Like I said, I had no expectations. I actually had sort of adverse expectations going into this thing. And 
the smile that started creeping over my face as I was reading this. Like, I, I can't understate how much this surprised me and really genuinely impressed me with this story. I hope more people go out and read this book. Uh, hopefully after they listen, if they kind of dismissed it offhand, like, like, like we would have if we didn't have to do a podcast about it. We probably wouldn't have blipped on our radar. But if you're in the comic store and you see this thing, I wish it wasn't four dollars and ninety nine cents because that's a lot for a single comic. But oh, that's right, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, if you can get it, I highly recommend picking this up. If you were a fan of the old Starman comics from DC, it's James Robinson and Tony Harris together again. If you like that book, you should give this one a shot. So, any final thoughts on this comic before we go? Yeah, this comic transcends what it could have been easily, and that is. This comic could have been the kind of thing that really turned me off to extended universe stuff back when, you know, this really was cranking out, Mm -hmm. you know, because I wanted to get it back into the expanded universe. But then I realized I can't immerse myself into this. There's just too much stuff. There's just too much stuff. And it's it's some of it seemed like, okay, so here's, you know, that guy sitting in the corner of the cantina. (laughs) Here's a book about him. You know, he's on screen for three seconds and, and gives a little chuckle, but we're going to give a whole, you know, trilogy to him. And this could have gotten into that kind of thing where it's what happened to his arm? What happened to this? What happened to that? Where'd this go? Where's that? But it does it well. Yeah. And, and so it's very forgivable and it's short. That also makes it forgivable. Mm-hmm. And it works even if it wasn't a Star Wars story, which is even better. You have a story that works with characters that, well, a character that I've been you know familiar with since... You know, 1977. Mm-hmm. So it it works well. Agreed. Ben, before you go, you must answer the galactic questionnaire for every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars. Okay. So, seven questions. All right, seven. All right. Question number one. Would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or Ray's speeder from The Force Awakens? Luke's. It looks more comfortable. Question two. Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper? Classic, but just because that's the one that's been around for so long. Okay. Question three. Would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? Oh, man. Huh. Lightsabers are cool and Jedis and all that stuff, but... I'd have to go with the jetpack. Woohoo! I think you're the first person to say that. Yeah, I, well, you can fly with it. It shoots missiles. I or, know, right? And uh, there's just so much more it does. A lightsaber is great, and you can chop things with it, but I think I'd have more fun over the long run with a jetpack. I agree. All right. Okay, number four. Would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? Dagobah. I can't stand heat. I don't like sand. It gets everywhere. <laughs> oh, God. And <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody else to say that, too. Oh, thank you. This has been so uh, good. <laughs> but Dagobah, definitely, I, I prefer moist, wet. I like fall rainy days and spring rainy days. And yeah. All right. Yeah. Number five, not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? Um, I think Bosk. All right, number six. Would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? <laughs> Princess Leia. 
playing it safe. Okay. Well, she's. I I don't want to say anything bad <laughs> about anyone. You don't need to. But Princess Leia is the one I had the crush on when I was a kid, not Carrie Fisher. All right. Especially when I saw Carrie Fisher in other movies, I'm just wait. It's Prince. Oh, it's not really Princess Leia. <laughs> she's just the stalker in Blues Brothers. Yes, she was. Uh, finally, question seven. If you had the force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? I think I'd feel the pull to the dark side, but I'd try and stay on the light side. How's that? That's good. All right. All right, Ben, thank you very much for being on this episode of of Give Me Those Star Wars. Where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you? Well, they can find me talking about Star Wars comic books and that kind of thing on Comic Book Time Machine. You can find me talking about Marvel Cinematic Universe and more or less the Phil Coulson-related comic books on Welcome to Level 7, welcometolevel7.com. And then I also talk about science fiction, spirituality, and all that kind of stuff on Strangers and Aliens at strangersandaliens.com, where you can hear my children talk about the prequel trilogy and their favorite characters and make me hang my head in shame. (laughs) When one of my daughters answered that her favorite character was indeed Jar Jar Banks. She amended this. She hasn't done it on the podcast yet, but she amended it. She's my nine-year-old. She amended it to her favorite character after seeing The Force Awakens to Han Solo. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, so who's your favorite character now? Thinking, you know what the answer is going to be, right? Thinking Ray, nine-year-old girl, yeah, maybe Finn or BB-8 or something, but no, Han Solo. Wow, yeah. Well, if the worst thing she ever tells you is her favorite <laughs> character was Jar Jar, yeah, I think you're getting off pretty lucky. So hopefully, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that she changed it over to Han Solo, I mean, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. All right, well, Ben, one more time, thank you very much for being part of this episode. It was great talking to you. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been fun. In the first film, in episode four, 3PO, his left leg was silver. And the idea was that 3PO had a history. Star Wars didn't just happen out of nowhere. It wasn't page one of a new story. But you were kind of tuning into a chapter. Move forward, and J.J. takes that idea several notches higher. I wanted to make sure that when you saw 3PO in Force Awakens that you knew it was from this era and this moment. I wanted to mark him in a way. 3PM, he has a red arm. Because something's happened to him in the last 30 years. The rebels have had all sorts of dramas, and one of his was clearly losing a limb. And then, oh, hey, here's, here's one. It's not the right color that was spray affected. And the idea was he's been burdened with this damn red appendage, and by the end of the movie, he's got his arm back. Yeah, he's got his proper arm installed. The story as to how he got his red arm is actually going to be in a comic book that they're doing in a separate piece. The last two episodes of this show both came out on Thursday, April 6th. That was definitely not planned. Kyle Benning and I recorded our Best of the Prequels episode and had no idea at the time that Lucasfilm was going to release the teaser for Rogue One that week. Even still, when I heard the teaser was going to come out the day before I planned to release episode 6, I didn't think it was going to be such a big deal. But as soon as I saw the teaser, I lost my mind. It was so good, and Andy Capellish asked how soon we could do a teaser reaction episode. We scheduled it for that afternoon, but the timing still felt weird, and I wanted to have the prequel episode out first, so I released that one at like 10 in the morning, and then the teaser reaction a few hours later. Both of those episodes got a lot of great feedback, which is very exciting to read, makes me feel good about the show, 
First up, the comments for the best of the prequel episode. And before I even get into these, I need to issue a mea culpa on behalf of Kyle and I, because on our list of favorite elements from the prequels, we both completely forgot to talk about the music of John Williams. I can't explain it, I can't defend it. We both just forgot. I had the music of the prequels on a list that I made at some point, I know I did. Kyle did the same thing. Before the episode came out even, before anybody heard this, I messaged him and said, you know what we forgot to talk about was the music. And he said, yeah, he was upset that we didn't talk about it. Just about everyone who did hear this show and left a comment mentioned the music, most cases specifically citing the song Duel of the Fates from The Phantom Menace. That is a great track, and it definitely deserved to be on the list. However, there's actually a song from the prequels I like even better than that song, and it's Across the Stars from Attack of the Clones. But either way, the soundtracks to those movies are really, really strong. And I know people who complained that the score for The Force Awakens was disappointing or just not memorable. I still love the soundtrack to The Force Awakens, but I can agree that I think the prequels had more standout signature themes. So, yeah, Kylo Benning and I dropped the ball on that one. We both should have had the music on our lists. So, what did everyone else think? Over on Facebook, a couple of listeners offered their own lists for comparison. Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks podcast and YouTube channel said his five best things from the prequels were Darth Maul, Order 66, the Anakin-Obi-Wan fight, the kitchen sink battle, that's a reference to the opening space battle from Revenge of the Sith, and the Duel of the Fates music track. So, I think his list pretty similar to Kyle's with the addition of the Duel of the Fates song. A listener named Ryan Bolton gave his list. He had opening space battle from episode 3, again. Uh, spaceship designs, similar to one that I had on my list. Duel of the Fates song, Darth Maul, and seeing multiple Jedi fight at the same time, which was one of the runners-up that I had on my list. And Zeb Oswald gave his list, which included 10 things, so he was a lot more high on those movies than I was. He said Darth Maul, Ben Kenobi, Tons of Jedi, Count Dooku, the Jedi Flying TIE Fighters. I don't remember that happening, but I could be wrong and just not remembering. Uh, number 6, Commander Cody. Number 7, Duel of the Fates song. Number 8, When the Clone Troopers Save the Jedi in that Big Fight. I'm assuming he's talking about the end of Attack of the Clones. Uh, number 9, Double-Bladed Lightsaber. And number 10, Qui-Gon Jinn. And Andrew Leyland from the podcasts Hey Kids Comics and Listen to the Prophets wrote in, As someone who genuinely likes the prequels, mostly, I'm always down with hearing some positive material on these films. And a big yes to a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan movie. I'd rather watch that than a young Han Solo flick. Yeah, I am right there with you, Andy. I uh, Of the two, which is fascinating considering how much we love Han Solo, but... I feel like I know his story, and I would like to see more of Obi-Wan Kenobi, especially played by Ewan McGregor. So, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, moving on to the Fire & Water website comments for that episode, Rob Kelly from the Fire & Water podcast and the Film & Water podcast said, I enjoyed but was also troubled by Kyle's hedging when it came to how many people you could kill in a day and still be considered on the light side. If I were the local authorities, I would look into any unsolved murder cases. I'm just saying. Angling a show about the prequels aimed at just the stuff that you liked was a good idea. Keeps the show from being too negative, and we know how that can go. 
but also doesn't ignore a whole swath of Star Wars material. That was absolutely the reason why I wanted to do it. I wanted to talk about stuff from the prequels because I had seen them recently, um, but I also didn't want to do an all-bashing negative show like what we did on the Fire and Water Network with the uh, Batman vs. Superman review. Uh, Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians and Podcast La Vista Baby said, I've gone on record so many times about the problems with the prequels, but I can say that I completely agree about how good the casting of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi was. I too wish he could get the chance to take another crack at it with better material. What about a small-scale story about Obi-Wan on Tatooine being pulled between his need to stay under the radar and his desire to help people as a Jedi? Maybe a story where he is pulled out of retirement briefly to protect a small community of farmers and merchants from a roving gang or a mobster shaking them down. It could be fun. Siskoid from Ohatmu or Not and First Strike the Invasion podcast said, You did well, young Jedis. I'm not sure I could name five things, considering my number one is the interviews with George Lucas on the DVD extras. Hey, sometimes you just want to watch the world burn. I think you did well to mostly stick to actors or characters you liked, since those can be compartmentalized from the plot, effects, etc., which are the true problems of the prequels. Ryan's right, Attack of the Clones is watchable pretty much only if Obi-Wan is on screen and Anakin is not, which makes it a half-decent film. Jeff R. said, Catching up, I'm going to say that you missed the actual best thing from the prequels, and that was Duel of the Fates. I'd also have accepted launching the LEGO video game Mega franchise and the musical sting at the end of The Phantom Menace where Anakin's theme transforms itself into the Imperial March. Good one. I completely forgot about the LEGO Star Wars. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and Power Records podcast said, I love the idea of a solo Obi-Wan movie, or McGregor appearing as Force Ghost Obi-Wan in the next few main films. One reason I could never get into the Clone Wars animated series was due to how dark they went with Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. I believe it's the best of the prequels, despite many, many shortcomings, but I don't think we needed to see Anakin plastered all over every conceivable preschool to preteen object as if he were Superman, given what we now knew of him. Yes, you can argue we already saw him kill tons of people and go along with blowing up a whole freaking planet in the original trilogy, but the youngling scene was really that bridge too far. I'm not sure why, it just was. Darth Maul was totally wasted, no question, especially after all the merchandise buildup. I wish they had given Dooku more to do as well, because, hey, it's Christopher Lee. As a hammer guy, I was very glad to see him play a count again. Me too, Chris, me too. Uh, on to the special episode where Andy and I reacted to the Rogue One teaser trailer. On Facebook, Igor Glushkin said, This movie might be even darker than Empire. Maybe. We'll see. Brian Green said, The idea that people are nervous that Jar Jar Abrams is mind-boggling. It was unfortunate enough that Steven Summers 2.0 darkened The Force Awakens with all of his cliched garbage. With any mercy, he won't make another film in the franchise. Wow. So, I'm guessing Brian Greene was not a fan of J.J. Abrams' work on The Force Awakens. Andrew Leyland said, I was very dubious about these anthology flicks, but this trailer won me over. I do think that Disney needs to stop trying to push the nostalgia buttons and move Star Wars forward, though. This will be the second movie to aim for that market, and it'll get tired if they carry on in that direction. I didn't even realize that until Andy pointed out, but it's absolutely true. I mean, so much of the 
the visual and emotional connection a lot of people had to The Force Awakens was in that nostalgic and the, the thematic and visual elements that tied it to the very first Star Wars movie. And now with Rogue One, we've got one set in the same world just days or months before that first Star Wars movie. So the same iconic looks and designs. So, yeah, it definitely feels like they're they're building the new franchise off of our shared love for the original one. But at some point... We need to see them doing new things. We need Episode 8 has got to make forward progression. It's got to take us someplace we haven't been before. Um, very good point. I hadn't thought of it, but I completely agree. Um, On to the website comments. Siskoid said, Donnie Yen is my favorite modern-day martial arts film star, so I'm really stoked about having him in this film. Like, you don't even know. The damn misogynists are losing their minds about this featuring yet another female hero, as if that were the Hollywood standard. Dumb. And they'll look especially foolish once they start releasing trailers that spotlight other cast members, because it's clear to me the way this was edited that that will be the case, even if she turns out to be the lead among this ensemble. But, what do you think about the possibility of Jin being Rey's mother? Not that I need this to be the case, but Star Wars Destiny seems to impose similar stories happening to members of the same family. History repeats. Yeah, every indication we've gotten from this movie is that the Rebel team will be an ensemble, with Jin definitely as the center. I mean, she will be the lead and the star, but there won't be any shortage of powerful male heroes for boys to look up to, if that's really what people are worried about. And that's not what they're worried about. They're just being idiots, and they are being sexist, and they need to shut up. Um, as for the other points, that was certainly one of the theories that came up immediately, was that Jin Erso might end up being Rey's mother, or there's some kind of family relation. There is no evidence at all to suggest any connection between them. But there was no evidence to suggest a connection between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker until all of a sudden they revealed it. So it would not surprise me. I don't want it to happen. Well, I I don't even know that because I don't know who Jin Erso is. Maybe after we see this movie, it will make total sense and it will feel earned and deserved. Until then, I, I don't know. I just give me a good movie. Uh, we got a comment from Rift, who chimed in on all of the things he liked about the teaser, and then said, Now, as to the who's who in this trailer, pun intended, hey, sure, I'll bite. So I'm saying the white-uniformed Ben Mendelsohn is Tarkin, and the black-caped figure kneeling in front of the Red Imperial Guards, that is Vader. I believe they edited this trailer to make you think this way, and will probably turn out to be wrong, but for now, I'm happy to be led down this path. Uh, the guy in black might certainly be Darth Vader. I believe he will be in the movie. Uh, I don't think Ben Mendelsohn's character is going to be Grand Moff Tarkin. They haven't said who he's playing yet, but I have also heard that Tarkin will make an appearance in this movie, possibly as a cameo, maybe just as a hologram, because I don't know if they want to recast him so much as, like, kind of digitize his face to make it look more realistic. Anyway, I don't think Mendelsohn's character is Tarkin. I think he's somebody new. I'm also no longer sure that he's actually playing a Grand Admiral just because he's in the white uniform. Somebody else pointed this out, and I'm I'm kind of mad at myself for forgetting about this because it's something that I would have paid attention to. But within the ranks of the Empire structure, uh, there's a group called the Imperial Security Bureau, or ISB. 
and they are denoted as having white jackets or cream colored jackets and we actually saw one or two of these guys in the Death Star in the first Star Wars movie for instance in the Imperial Conference Room Chamber where we first meet Tarkin and Admiral Mahdi and General Tagi and those guys uh, there is a guy there wearing a white jacket he's not a Grand Admiral he was the head of the ISB in this space sector so I think that actually works for this story. If this guy is personally hunting down a group of rebels stealing the Death Star planes or trying to get the Death Star planes, it would make sense if he's part of the Imperial Security Bureau and he would have the same kind of white-colored jacket that other high-ranking officers would wear. So, very cool. I, I could be wrong. We might find out that he's, you know, a version of Grand Admiral Thrawn or something else, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's actually an ISB agent. Um, Rift continued, I am totally intrigued, just as Andy said, to find out who these other characters are, which again points out how engaging this teaser is. Donnie Yen, is he Force-sensitive? I hope so. Who's the guy with the dreadlocks? On first viewing, I thought that was Mandalorian armor and jetpack he was wearing. Who is that tall, thin black droid following Jin? IG-88? And a great little theory from Siskoid, is Jin Ray's mother? Uh, the droid I don't think is IG-88. I think it's going to be a new... I think it's an Imperial droid that's been reprogrammed to work for the Rebels. Uh, and I think that's one being motion capture performed by Alan Tudyk from Firefly and Serenity fame. Rob Kelly said, Great job getting this episode done and up so quickly. I am finding more and more that when a big trailer like this drops, I immediately look to podcasts I enjoy for commentary. It's not enough just to watch the trailer anymore. Rogue One looks great top to bottom. Kudos to Disney for giving women and people of color a greater role in these massive movie events. The more the men's rights crowd howls in agony, the more you know you're doing something right. Completely agree. Uh, Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom said, This could be the movie we actually get to see dead Bothan spies. Oh, if only, Paul. Uh, Paul is, of course, referring to Mon Mothma's line from Return of the Jedi about many Bothans dying to retrieve the Death Star plans. However, that line, as we know, referred to the second Death Star, not the first one. So there's no indication that we should see Bothans dead or otherwise in this movie, but a boy can dream. Uh, and Paul also wondered if the base we see in this teaser might be Dantooine, the abandoned rebel base mentioned in the first movie. I don't think the jungle base is Dantooine. That looks pretty clearly to be Yavin 4 to me. However, initially, I liked the idea of seeing Dantooine show up in the movie, maybe the planet with the beach that we see. But the problem with that is, the more I thought about it, the Empire had no knowledge of the base on Dantooine when Princess Leia said it to spare Alderaan. If there's a major skirmish between the Rebels and the Imperials on Dantooine in this movie, I think Grand Moff Tarkin would have heard about it. So, uh, Mike Gillis said, My personal hope, no Jedi, no Force users, no lightsabers or lightsaber duels. Those people get the spotlight enough. Let's get more spies and pilots and soldiers and stormtroopers. The only exception I'd be excited to see is a Darth Vader cameo. Chris Franklin is also rooting for Darth Vader to show up somewhere in the film. He said, We need another cool on-film Vader appearance to wipe away his Frankenstein moment from Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Jeff Nettleton said, I like the look of this and especially am excited at the prospect of a military espionage take on Star Wars. For me, the films are a bit too fighter pilot-centric. I always wanted to see more of the grunts. 
Mike Stackpole has covered that in the Rogue Squadron books, but again, those are more fighter pilots. Back in Empire and Jedi, I wanted to see more of those guys on the ground, battling against AT-ATs and Stormtroopers. As for Forrest Whitaker, somebody asked who he is supposed to play, and this is my answer. He's the guy waiting to pick up the new DJ for the Death Star. We'll see more of him in the spin-off Good Morning Imperial Command. Yes, watch as the rebellious DJ turns the Empire on its ear with rock and roll. Here's some of the script. Good morning, Imperial Command! This isn't the dark side, this is rock and roll. Rocking you from Bespin to Tatooine. Ah, thank you, Jeff. That was good. Meanwhile, a Hong Kong action star in Star Wars? Just imagine if it had been Jackie Chan. I can see him sliding down the dish of the Death Star planet-destroying weapon, or leaping across the chasm that Luke and Leia swung across. Ah, these would be great alternate takes. Like, I hope we get the, like, the B-side version of this movie. Uh, and finally, we also got a comment for the first time from Alex Osias, who was responding more, I think, to the very first episode of the show when Rob talked about the missed opportunity that we didn't see Leia and Chewbacca embrace at the end of The Force Awakens. Alex posted a link to an article where J.J. Abrams basically admits that he dropped the ball there. So, uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everybody who left a comment. Anyway, that's going to be all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing Ben and I discuss Star Wars C-3PO. If you get the chance, I highly recommend picking up this comic. Uh, and there will be more talk of Star Wars comics on future episodes. Not entirely sure when. The future is always in motion, but it's coming eventually. Once again, I want to thank Ben Avery for appearing on this episode. Check out Comic Book Time Machine and welcome to Level 7 to hear more from Ben. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Music